0: Um, our last week that we are in this Uncovered series, and uh, we are going to have something a little bit different next week. I have somebody else that's going to be teaching next week that I'm looking forward to. I'm just going to keep that a surprise as to who it is. Um, but then on June 9th, so in two weeks, we're going to be starting something brand new here at New Life on Wednesday nights for our midweek service and... Uh, I don't know if we got did we did we happen to get that s- slide brought in there for the announcements? If not, that's that's all right. I can just uh, tell you just a little bit about it. We will be previewing this here in um, here in the Sunday before we uh, before we start these Connect classes. But on June ninth, uh, for six weeks, we're going to have uh, Connect classes during our midweek service, and there will be four different classes that are going on. Uh, we will have our student ministries and that includes our, um, our high school, middle school age students as well as hyphen, uh, hyphen or, or young adults. Uh, they are, they are welcome to go up to the, uh, the upstairs and they're going to be having, um, they're going to be having class or they're going to be having like a, a youth service on Wednesday nights. We have Wednesday night children's ministry that, that will be taking place building up NLAC kids and then we also have two different things that uh you can choose from as an adult. We have a caged series that uh I promise you will be um uh, it will be a blessing if you choose to go to that as well as the marriage on the rock. You can choose between either one of those. We'll be splitting out our caged series will be taking place in here and our marriage on the rock that is uh, like a small group um marriage um uh, marriage group that uh, they will be meeting back in the uh, Roberts Hall of Fellowship. And so uh, you can just choose. We don't have a sign-up for this uh, leading into it, but on that night, uh, you can choose which one you go to. We just would encourage that whichever one you go to, that you would just stick with that for six weeks. And uh, I promise you that these are going to be uh, very, very fulfilling um, uh, connect classes that uh, that you can take part in. So Looking forward to that um, coming up in the month of June. But tonight we have this, this lesson that uh, I want to get into, um, continuing in this Uncovered Series, Lesson 8, and this is focusing in on the ministry of Jesus Christ. Amen. This is a, uh, there is a lot that we could cover if we are looking at the ministry of Jesus, and he, uh, of, of course, had a very, um, very outsized, uh, large uh, portion of, of the New Testament scriptures is focused on the ministry of Jesus. And that's because he is the focal point, really, of the whole Bible. Jesus is the focal point of the whole Bible. It's the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus. We have the ministry of Jesus that takes place, the beginning of the New Testament, and then the rest of the New Testament is pointing back. To Jesus, it's all getting us to focus on Jesus Christ, and so uh, we just want to focus in tonight and look at at uh, what what was the point or what was the effect of of the ministry of Jesus while he was here on this earth. You know, there's no question in my mind that Jesus was and still is probably the most controversial. Figure in human history. That uh, even 2,000 years after he died and resurrected, he is still the center of a lot of controversy and discussion and, and people looking at, uh, at, at Jesus. And one of the reasons that he caused such a stir in, if we're, we're looking back in the time when he was here on earth, was because his teachings were so unique to that time. He taught in a way that showed that he had authority he he came onto the scene not as one that was brought up under a teacher and then at an at an older age you know began to uh to be you know brought in as as one who has learned under the you know the, the tutelage of somebody else but rather at 30 years of age jesus comes onto the scene and begins teaching as one with authority I mean, to the point that it says, like in Mark 1, it says that they were astonished at his teachings because he taught as one having authority and not as the scribes. He wasn't like all these other people, but rather he was teaching as one who had some authority and it was authority that was not him saying, uh, I'm teaching this, um, you know as as a student of gamaliel as uh, the authority or in the name of gamaliel that is you know as paul may have may have done that himself paul being a a student under gamaliel he may have taught and and had the authority somebody might listen to him because he could teach under the name of gamaliel this great teacher and he sat under his feet and 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 listen to him. But Jesus didn't sit under somebody else. He didn't come saying, I bring this to you under the name or the authority of Gamaliel or some other great teacher. But rather, he did it in the authority and the name of God. He came with authority himself because this was God come to earth. And so, some of Jesus' most memorable teachings that we have... Are presented to us in the very first gospel, the Gospel of Matthew, and they are compiled here at this um, in this very extended sermon that is uh, begins in Matthew chapter five. And this sermon is is one that uh, typically is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. The sermon on the Mount is the longest sermon that that we have. Of Jesus, you know, recorded. It doesn't mean necessarily that this is the only time that he would have taught to this length. But as far as what's recorded for us in Scripture, this is the longest sermon that we have. That's all, all there for um, for us to partake in, for us to to read what Jesus had to say. And so, I, I want to just get into the Sermon on the Mount just a little bit, and and we're going to learn. What Jesus is trying to set up. So this is the very beginning of his ministry. Let me just set the stage just a little bit. The very beginning of his ministry. What, what was the first thing? Let me just ask this question. What was the very first thing? We, we ended with this last week. Right before Jesus started his public ministry. What what did he do? What was that, Brother Stock? He went into Canaan? Oh, the wet, so he had the wedding in, in Cana. So he had that. Uh, that was the beginning. Uh, that was preceding his his, his ministry. Uh, that would have been the very first healing that we see. Um, there was uh, there was something else that uh, that leads right into this uh, Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount, as well. It's right before he goes and he calls all of his disciples unto him. What do you remember the temptations? That's right. So he went into the wilderness. He spent forty days fasting. At the end of that time of of fasting and prayer, we see that there were a a, a set or a uh, three different ways that the enemy came to tempt Jesus. And all three, all three times that the enemy came to tempt Jesus, he came back at him, presenting the word of God and saying, "I man shall not live by bread alone." that uh, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God, and that he he brings the word to him every time, that the word says this, the word says this, and he was able to overcome the temptations of the enemy, But, but immediately following that, we see him go, he chooses his disciples, and then he begins this public ministry, and this is where Matthew begins to set the stage for what Jesus does in his public ministry, and... I think it's very interesting. If you, uh, in fact, I, we don't have this in our notes. we Don't have this in our notes, but how G, or how, how Matthew uh, writes his gospel, we we see different structures in the different gospels. But how Matthew writes his gospels is he he has these different bookends, so that you can see like the beginning of of Jesus, you know, this section of Jesus's ministry. And then you can see the conclusion of it and we can see the beginning of this part of his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. If you want to just jot that down on your, on your piece of paper, Matthew four twenty-three is the very beginning bookend. This is right before we go into chapter 5, where we will see the Sermon on the Mount. But he says in Matthew 4, 23, that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom... And healing every disease and sickness. Sorry, we don't have. I don't have the uh, the scriptures for this. I'm just adding to it right now. So uh, Matthew chapter uh, four verse twenty three. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And so he's setting up these things that Jesus is going to do. He hasn't done it yet at this point. But he's setting up what's going to take place in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is going to teach, and he's going to preach. And what's what's he teaching and preaching? He's teaching and preaching kingdom principles. We see that terminology a lot in the Gospels, especially Matthew. He uses this. He says, uh, uh, Matthew often uses the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. When he's saying what Jesus, or, or writing down what Jesus is saying, he, he makes sure to, to in, insert that terminology right there. This is uh, when Jesus would begin teaching. He would say, "This I'm doing this because I want to tell you about the kingdom of heaven. There's uh, Mark and Luke. Uh, they, they would uh, use, kind of referring to the same thing, but they would often say the kingdom of God. talking about the same thing. The kingdom of God is this. It is as this. And so what um, Matthew is setting up here in, in chapters 5, 6, and 7 is this teaching. The kingdom authority that Jesus had is brought out through his teaching and through his preaching. And we see that in the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to get going to get into. Uh, I mentioned the bookends. I'll just kind of finish off that thought. So, 5, 6, and 7 were focused on the teaching and preaching in the book of Matthew, uh, focused on the teaching and preaching of, of Jesus about kingdom authority. In chapters 8 and 9 of the book of Matthew, we see the kingdom authority of Jesus in healing. So, we saw that Jesus has kingdom authority in his teaching. In his preaching in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, in chapter eight and nine, we see the authority that Jesus has in the kingdom through his many acts of healing. We can see, I pointed out Matthew four twenty three. If we look at Matthew nine thirty five, we see almost an identical, um, almost that Matthew four twenty three. Uh, The identical words here in 935. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. This is the bookend to what is said in 423, he was getting ready to do. Now this is saying, Matthew's closing that off and saying this is what Jesus has done. He went, he taught, he preached the kingdom of God, and he did miracles Healing, healing every disease and every sickness, and then really we even get an extension to that in Matthew chapter ten, because in Matthew chapter ten it begins to focus on this, this uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples about all those things that he had just done, and he's commissioning his disciples in Matthew chapter ten, and so if we look at the very first verse of Matthew chapter eleven. 11 verse 1, it says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Okay? So this is this is really what the ministry of Jesus was all about. He is focusing in on the Jewish people, but he himself, we see his kingdom authority in teaching and preaching. We see his kingdom authority... And healing. And then in Matthew chapter 10, we see that that kingdom authority has been delegated to the disciples. He basically says, okay, now it's your turn. You've watched me do this. You go do this now. I'm sending you out two by two. I'm sending you out. he, He warns them you're going to be rejected many times. There's going to be Jews that reject you. There's going to be Gentile authorities that reject you. Wipe the dust off your feet. Keep going, but you have the kingdom authority that you have seen me in teaching and preaching, and the kingdom authority and healing. You have that ability as well, and so go and do it. So that's what Jesus. Um, that's that's kind of what we see in the, the the book of Matthew, in the ministry of Jesus, and so we're going to we're going to get into all of those things. But let's let's go on back to Matthew chapter five. And I want to pick apart that Sermon on the Mount just a little bit. Sorry back there in our media, I added all that in there without telling you. Okay. The very first, uh, or we could just read this whole thing, but it's, uh, it's quite a lengthy sermon. So we're just going to pick out some different parts in this. And the first portion I want to get to is in verse 21. 21 and 22, Jesus is... At this point, um, he's taking these laws that they all know, the Mosaic law, these things that the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees, these these religious Jews,'m even not just them, but you know all the Jews really, that they, they look at these things and and they say, okay I, I'm good if I hold to the Mosaic law. And I want to let's let's look at what Jesus has to say about the law He says, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. He ups the ante. So it's not just about whether you kill somebody, but there's an issue that's in the heart that if you don't get it right in the heart, then you're in danger of the judgment. It's not just about your actions on the outside, but there's something that started way before you would ever kill somebody in the heart. And we need to make sure that this new kingdom that we are establishing, this new kingdom of heaven stuff that I want to talk to you about, it is internal. There's a, a greater thing that is, that is placed upon you, a greater responsibility. It's not just about not killing, but you've got to look at the intentions of your heart now. And he says, Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, uh, or I'm sorry, I, I, back up. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. The rock is this this insult uh that they would throw at somebody. Um but he's saying, Thou thou fool, uh again, he's he's upping the end. He's saying if this is something that you have in your heart, thou if you're just you know even looking at somebody telling them they're a fool, um and now this this again um is 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 upping what they had thought was wrong, and Jesus is saying we need to go to the intentions of the heart. Let's continue. Um, Let's go to verse 27. He's continuing in this same thought process here. He says, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Okay. Again. You've heard this teaching. You've heard the Pharisees. You've heard the the religious leaders tell you about the Mosaic Law. And you have, have, have held to that and said, I am good as long as I do that. But Jesus points to the very place that all of these things start. He says, let's look at the heart. Let's take a look. Okay. Remember, he's setting up the kingdom authority teaching. He's setting up the, what is the kingdom of God all about? The kingdom of God is not about following rules. The kingdom of God is not about, okay, here's the boundary and here's the boundary. But no, he's saying that this is something that begins in the heart and you must love me. You must have a, a love for me and a love for people. And when you do that, you, you willingly stay within the boundaries. Because if it's all just about boundaries, then you could be standing stand way off to the side and hate your brother. And then all it takes is one little thing and you stepped over that boundary. But kingdom teaching or kingdom living would be, in my heart, I love. In my heart, I, um, I do not commit adultery. In, in, in my heart, I do not do these things. And so good and bad things begin in the heart. Okay, the next thing, next portion here, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Jesus begins teaching on forgiveness here. You've heard that it's been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will... Sue thee at the law and take away that coat. Let him have that cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. These principles here are you know, much easier to read than to actually live out, right? Even even still today, these are not easy principles to, to lay out because we say, well, what, Jesus, you just want me to be taken advantage of? He doesn't want you to be taken advantage of, but He wants you to have mercy and to love. And this isn't about... This isn't about getting even with somebody. But this is about showing the love of Jesus Christ. This is about letting somebody say, what, what is it about you? What is it about you? I, I haven't been able to break you. And, and somebody, you know, that that's, you know, knows how to push every button of yours. And, and yet you don't break. Because Jesus isn't calling me to retaliate. He's calling me. To continue to love, and in fact, even this one, this one portion here, where it says, "If, if any man uh, will compel you to go a mile, go with him two miles." This is this is even uh, the the reference. There is really about uh, the uh, at, at that time a, a Roman soldier could come, and, and at any point they could they could require of you to 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 uh, take them one mile. A, a Roman soldier, they could. It was in the Roman law that they could ask of any citizen at any point if they need to to travel and they don't have the ability to to travel uh they, they don't have um you know chariot or horse or or anything uh they could, they could come to any citizen and tell them you need to take me 1 mile down the road so he's not just talking about you know just your friend if your friend says you know I want you to go a mile down the road with me no he's the the reference here is the enemy if the enemy asks you to take him a mile down the road, you don't just take him a mile, but take him two miles. Why? We're setting up a kingdom culture. We're setting up a kingdom culture here where somebody would see that this person is different. Come on, the, the world should see the church as somebody that's, or as, as a people that are different than the rest of the world. We should stand out as people that love. We should stand out as people who are generous because God's been generous to us. God has forgiven us, and so we have much to forgive of others. In fact, it tells us in, in one portion of the Gospels, Jesus says, if you can't forgive your brothers, I can't forgive you. Because I have, I have already forgiven you of all these things, but if you can't forgive somebody else, then why should I forgive you? Because you've been forgiven of the greatest debt that could ever be forgiven of your sins. And these things that we hold on to are so small compared to that. Amen. To serve, to submit other people. To continue in verse 43. Verse 43, he Continues in this vein about talking about loving your enemies. He says, you have heard that it's been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your father which is in heaven. For he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? Publicans are the, the tax collectors. Says these people that you look at as you know the, the worst among your society. Says they, you know don't they even love the people who love them? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, he's calling out, or he's calling for more than, than simple sinlessness here when he says uh, to be perfect. He, he's, he's really he's calling them to be complete, to be full, fully complete in, the, in their love, because they have been complete in God. He's, he's, that, that word perfect there is not really necessarily speaking of, of our sinlessness. He says, therefore. Be complete. Your Father in heaven is, is perfect. He is complete. You are already complete in God. So don't, don't, uh, don't let some portion of you be taken out, you know, by, by somebody who, who hates you, an enemy. And don't then, you know, show some other side that is not kingdom minded. But in everything, in every aspect of life, no matter who you're dealing with, no matter if it's somebody that you like or you don't like, let's show love. Let's show generosity. Let's pray for those who despitefully use you. Again, what Jesus teaches is not easy. And we can identify as... as as Christians, and, and, and call ourselves an apostolic, and I'm thankful for the experience that I have. But, but sometimes when we truly look at the, the very simplest things that Jesus teaches, it still slaps us in the face and says, am I living this? Am I living just the, just the words that Jesus teaches? Because it's a pretty high bar. But I am so thankful for the Holy Spirit. And I am so thankful that you know this would be I would say impossible to do without his spirit inside of us that could soften a heart a hardened heart, without his spirit that can come in and it can it can take away come on, our, our our sins and, and then we know God you've forgiven me and so since you've forgiven me, God I can forgive somebody else. God, I can pray for an enemy because I used to be just like them. Come on, he says, uh, Paul says, such were some of you. Come on, and, and one time or another, you were the same way as, as that enemy was. And, and, and maybe, come on, maybe it's uh, you know something that, that they've done and you say, how could they do that? But where would I be if it wasn't for the Lord? Where would I be if it wasn't for the Lord? And so I pray for my enemies. I pray for those who despitefully use me. When this is the call of Jesus Christ, this is him. Teaching what kingdom culture is all about. Kingdom culture is about loving people. If we continue, the Sermon on the Mount continues into chapter 6, and we're going to read a couple of verses here at the beginning of chapter 6. It says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, When when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. Thy Father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. When thou prayest, Individuals who they would think to be very religious. You know, the, the Pharisees, they looked to be very religious, very close to God as they were out in the streets and lifting up their hands and praying these very loud prayers in the streets. They Seemed to be very close to God as as they would openly come to the temple and they would throw all their money, you know, openly and make sure that everybody saw the very big gifts and offerings that they were giving. Jesus, he says, it's not about somebody else seeing this. Let's let's give. Come on, let, we want to give the alms. We want to we want to give to give to the the temple or to the church, but. But you do it in secret. This isn't about somebody else seeing what you've done. In fact, he says, do, you know, let your left hand do something. Your right hand doesn't know what it's doing. And so, you know, in other words, he's just saying, we're not doing this so that, uh, so that we can, uh, get a pat on the back from somebody else. I'm not doing this so that so that uh, another person can come up and, and say, man, this is, that's a great thing that you've done. He says, in fact, I, not your father, when you do this in secret, your father, he sees it when you do it in secret, and he will reward you openly. That there will be a reward that you do for it, or that, that you will get for what you have done, but it won't be coming from somebody else, but that's okay because what God gives you is going to be so much greater than what a pat on the back or what somebody else may say to you for, for your gift that you gave. The same is true with prayers. Go into a closet. Go into a closet and pray. Go and shut yourself in there. And there ought to be a prayer life. Come on, we all ought to have a prayer life that is it's as powerful and secret as it is in the public public areas of the church. This isn't to say that we cannot pray in public spaces. We see Very many times where the church would pray together. They were all gathered together in one accord. There were meetings where they would pray. They would come together and they would pray. And so Jesus, he's not saying that you can't pray, you know, when you're gathered together in groups. We ought to pray. We ought to come together and gather and pray with one another and and pray, you know, in the presence of one another. But, but he says there ought to be some private time that you spend with Jesus or spend with God. There ought to be some, some time in your, in your private life where you are praying. So, so don't do this so that somebody else is looking at you and saying, wow, that person is quite a spiritual guru. They know all the right words to say when they pray. They can, they have all these, the elaborate phrases that they, that they say when they're praying. But no, I just want you to talk to me. Come on, I want a relationship with you. Jesus says, Go, shut yourself in with the Father. Go and pray. I'll reward you in secret. Verses 16 through 18. Again, Jesus is speaking on these, uh, very, these spiritual disciplines. He talked there on giving. He talked about prayer. Now he talks about fasting here in verse 16. He says, moreover, when ye fast, notice that, when you fast, it didn't say, you know, if you know, if if you fast, or you know, if there, um, you know, the, if there are some people who might fast. No, it says, moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may be that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head, wash thy face. That thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and, and and thy Father which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. He is speaking here of the fact of the the um, custom of the Pharisees at that time, who he just continues referring to as hypocrites. Uh, but he's he's referring to them and 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 the practice that they had, where they would. Uh, Put on these, these clothes that um, they would never wear at any other time except for when they were fasting and, and these, this like a burlap sack almost and they would, they'd put that on and, and then they would, they would uh, make sure that they would throw all this dust on themselves and make themselves look all dirty and they'd disfigure their faces is what he's speaking of there, just, just making themselves look so lowly and, and so that everybody around them, and then they would walk around like that because everybody knew when they look like that, this person's fasting says, it's not about somebody else knowing that you're fasting. We're not doing this so somebody else knows. We're doing this because this is a matter of the heart. So when you fast, what he's saying about the um, anointing yourself and then washing your face, he's just just saying, you don't need to Keep all this dust on yourself. You don't need to disfigure your face in all these ways so that everybody else knows about this. He says, just go go about it just like it's a normal day. Just like it's a normal day. Live your life, but go and fast. And now this is, isn't a, a him saying don't fast. He says, when you fast. So you ought to fast. But when you do it, don't do it for the glory that somebody else may give you. Amen. There's so much packed into this Sermon on the Mount that, um, that we could continue uh, getting into, but let's let's continue. Let's skip to verse 25 of chapter 6. He speaks here about worrying, and he says uh, in verse 25, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? In other words, he's He's referring here to the fact that we have spirit, we have soul, we have things more than just our body. And so uh, there is a a spiritual component to to every one of us. Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which one of you? I'm sorry, let's uh, skip down to verse 20, or uh, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Okay? Trust God, and God will provide for you. We don't have to worry whether or not God loves us. We don't have to worry about whether or not God sees the things that we're going through. He says God sees you. God takes care of the very lowliest animal. He takes care of the flowers. He, he, he make sure that everything in earth is is in the proper place, don't you think that He would see you who has a soul and that He would take care of every need that you have? And You may say, I've experienced heartache and I've experienced pain, and where was God? I can tell you where He was. He was with you every step of the way. Through the heartache, through the pain, God is still there. Through the valley, through the mountain top, God is still there. It doesn't matter. Come on, we can we can go through things and where would I be if God had not been there with me? Come on, God is there with me. But you say, yeah, but what about the person who doesn't serve God? God is even there for them because they have a soul and God cares for everybody. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how good or how evil they are. God is still there. But come on, when we serve God, God, he can lift us up and he can carry you through situations that you would be you know, heartbroken without God there with you. God. When you put your trust in Him, He will always provide. Amen. The last, last portion here that I want to cover in Matthew or in this Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Jesus here, He says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, which you consider not the beam it's in your own eye. Or, how will thou say to thy brother, "Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye"? And behold, a beam is in your own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of that own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the the mote out of thy brother's eye. Saying, "Stop focusing on everybody else getting right, and focus on yourself." And Jesus' ministry, he, he did not pull punches. He did not just take it easy. When he came teaching, he, he taught on the hard things. And he came with authority. He came speaking with authority and, and teaching on hard issues and, and, and challenging things. And when the, the people heard this, it woke them up. That in their senses, they're saying, what kind of a man is this? What kind of a man, you know, just just imagine, just imagine. Now, us looking back, we know who Jesus was. They didn't know who Jesus was. Put yourself in the place of somebody who is hearing these teachings for the very first time from a man. They think maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's, you know, just some other, uh, uh, you know, teacher that's come onto the scene. I don't know who he is, but... Here's what I do know. He sounds very different from anybody else who I've ever heard. This Jesus, he teaches in a way that it challenges me. He teaches in a way that I don't know where he has this authority, but uh, he says that his authority comes from God. It doesn't come from some other man. His authority comes from God. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing when he came onto the scene. His teaching was so radically different from, from anybody else that, that it was bringing their minds around and it was, it was, it was changing their thoughts away from the old, the old way of Moses' teaching and the law and bringing us into a whole new dispensation where we begin to see the kingdom of God is at hand. So the one way that it did that was through his teaching. That was Matthew 5, 6, and 7. As I mentioned, uh, if we're looking at this from the, uh, from the eyes of Matthew as he tells it. And then as we get into Matthew 8 and 9, or we could see this, of course, in, in some other gospels, we see that Jesus wasn't just a, a philosopher or a wise teacher, but he, um, also brought his kingdom authority in, in, into view through the miracles And the signs and the wonders, the different things that he did while he was here on earth. And so we see the miracles that were demonstrated by Jesus. Sickness and disease. They were there, but Jesus would heal them. The demonic forces that people would have in in their life, and they they were... bound by these demons and this, this demonic possession and Jesus would come in and he would speak the authority and by, in the name of Jesus, they would go. They would flee. He would just have to speak to them and they would be gone. Does anybody, um, I, I know I've, I've shown clips of this before, but, uh, during some of my, um, sermons I've taught, but anybody watch this series, The Chosen? Some of that. There's just so much of that, that series that is, um, even just the way the very first episode, it's so, uh, eye opening the way that they present, they present Jesus coming in, um, onto the scene and, and you have the way that they, pre- they present this, or depict this. They have Nicodemus, who was, um, a very respected Jewish leader. And Nicodemus going into this, this red district, this place where, um, or Mary was at Mary of Magdala, and she goes and she is, she 's a demon possessed she says speaks of it how she was uh, she had seven demons in her that she was fighting with, wrestling with, and he goes in and he 's so scared he doesn 't know how to do it, just kind of gives up after trying one time, but then she meets Jesus. She meets Jesus, and everything changes it 's a very powerful, very powerful depiction of of the the contrast between everybody else and how they thought and how they would try to try to do things and, and uh um, it was Nicodemus when he went into that uh, he, he he had asked uh, Shmuel he'd asked his his uh his helper uh go and, and get this spice and this spice and this spice and, and put these all together and and we're going to use all these and he would spray these in and, and all of that. Though we may not see that That, uh, you know, tale lived out exactly like that in scripture. That's exactly the very things that, that we see through the Jewish writings, how they would do. These, these rabbis of that day, they would go in and they would, they would use these, these spices and all these things and, and these, these potions to, to try to, to try to do things. And it was, you know, a lot of it was tied into what Moses had said about, you know, you, you mix all of these things and it was, you know, to, to purify something that was impure. And they try to do that. But Jesus is saying this isn't about that. And he comes in. And by the power and the authority that he has given through through God. To bring a brand new gospel onto this earth. A brand new kingdom authority. We see Jesus step onto the scene and miracles take place. Demons. Demons are cast out. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 verse 34 says. He healed. Many who are sick with various diseases. He cast out many demons. He restored those individuals who are paralyzed. Mark chapter 10, it says that he had, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, go to your house. Immediately he arose, he took up the bed, and he went. Immediately. He restored blind eyes and deaf ears. These were things that, in that day and age, they they looked on these as not just uh, physical maladies, but this man or this this family must have sin. They must have some hidden sin in their their line. Or you know, what's I don't know what's going on, but God, He wouldn't do this to somebody unless they had some kind of sin in their family. And Jesus comes in and he anoints the eyes of the blind man. And he went and he washed and he came back seeing. He went and he brought, uh, they they brought to Jesus one who was deaf and he took him aside from the multitude. He put his fingers in his ears and immediately his ears were opened. Brand new dispensation, a brand new authority. That comes when Jesus steps onto the scene. He says he he was teaching about what the kingdom's all about, and now he's he's showing them what the kingdom's all about through these miracles, through these signs, these wonders, these different things that he does. We see uh, we have one instance where it's just the disciples that see it, but he's out on the open sea. There's a storm. They all think that they're going to die, and he stands up. Or they're, they're, in fact, they have to wake him up because he's been asleep. And he says, "Where's all your faith at?" He looks out over this stormy sea and he just says, "Peace be still." Come on, this is this is a kingdom authority that Jesus has, and he's he's showing us that there is a a, a uh, something way back to what we talked about in lesson two of this that there is a connection between the spiritual and the natural. There is a spirit world. And there is a natural world, but the two things are connected. And we, when we are in tune with God, we have power and authority over the things that are here on this earth. And there is there's power that God has given us in his kingdom to bind and to loose, to set free the captives, to heal. That's why we have faith today when we prayed earlier in the service for those who are sick I have faith. I believe that God is a healer. I have faith that God still today is could heal. I have faith still today that the things that Jesus did back then, he says, greater things than these shall ye do greater things than what I've done. Come on. How is that possible? You raised the dead to life. You set the captives free. You you went and, and, and opened up the ears of the blind man. Jesus said greater things than these shall ye do. So I believe what Jesus had to say. Amen. We better, we better come to this this last portion here the the about the parables. This was a very familiar um, way in which Jesus taught. It was in these um, this way of the parables. Jesus he often taught in parables. In order, the, the reason is, and and we know this is the reason because Jesus mentions it um, to some of his disciples of why he taught in this way but it was to weed out those who were only following him for the entertainment and the hype it says i teach in this way because those who are hungering for the things of god they will understand and i teach in this way because there are those that they they may know all the law and they may, you know, have gone to school, the religious schools of the day. And they may know all of these things. But if they don't truly in their heart hunger and thirst after the things of God, then they will be uh, all these things that I'm teaching you. They're going to think are so elementary and they don't understand them. But yet the very fools of you or the ones who, who are unlearned. The ones, you know, the, the ones who are simple minded. You can all understand what the kingdom of God is all about. And so I teach in parables, the question is: you know, What what is a parable? And a parable uh, a parable is a a uh, story that typically has uh, at least two two meanings. It has a, a a meaning that you could you could understand the story in itself, but it has another deeper meaning beyond that that has a spiritual application to it. So a parable is a story that is told that also has a spiritual application. And this is a way that Jesus would often teach. And he says, um, or those who they drew close to Jesus, they received the most from his teachings. And in Matthew chapter 13, we see that the disciples, they came. And they said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. But blessed are your eyes, for they see and your ears, for they hear. In other words, you have a hunger and desire in your heart. And the things that I'm teaching you, you get it in your heart. There's more than just me telling you something. You, you understand it. Um, you understand the, the full, uh, everything that I'm trying to tell you in this story because you hunger after the things. And you, you, you are getting this because, because it's not just something that you're hearing with your ears, but rather you're hearing it with your heart. So here's some different parables that Jesus teaches, different um, things that, that he uses in order to illustrate the kingdom of heaven. The first is the parable of the sower. Which time do we have? We are. I'll, I'll let's um, let's go with the parable of the sower just real quick, and then um, we will just just leave it there tonight. So, Matthew chapter thirteen, verses one through nine, we have the parable of the sower. This parable. It says, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside and great multitudes were gathered together into him so that he went into a ship and he sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore and he spake many things to them in parables saying, behold, a sower went forth to sow. When he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside and the fowls came and they devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. When the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up, and they choked them, but other fell under the good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus teaches this parable, and what's so interesting about the parables is that we, we, you know, our, we just learn things easily, I feel through stories stories can be passed down from generation from culture to culture and you can still understand what it is that he's trying to say here no you may not be a farmer you still understand that you can throw the seed out and it needs to land in the good ground in order to really grow and that you understand through the story here you know the what jesus is trying to say and in fact you know he he uh, lays it all out you know what it is that um that he was trying to tell them. He doesn't always explain his parables, but uh, sometimes he would bring his disciples aside. We see him explaining the parable. But we, we see the, uh, the parables that, that can be passed from culture to culture, generation to generation. And we still can understand the concept of what he's trying to say. It doesn't get lost in translation. Although, I, just to close this out, I will say there are some things, there are some things that sometimes we miss because it is a different culture, because it is a a different time and in, in, in the way that our culture is, uh, we may miss some things uh, from these parables, such as uh, the the story of of the um, of the prodigal son. There's there's things in that. It's, it's interesting. I've, uh, I was, was reading a book recently about. Uh, misreading scriptures, titled Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes, just the fact our Western society compared to the Eastern society that they were in. And and the focus of, of that often for us here in the West is the fact that the son went and he lost all the money. When we ask, you know, what was the, the worst thing that he did is the fact that he went and in his riotous living he lost all of his money. If you would ask somebody in an Eastern culture, the culture really that these stories would have been told in, they don't focus much on that at all. It's more so about just the fact that he left his father's house. It was the shame that he brought in his father. That was that was the biggest no-no. The biggest thing that he did wrong was the shame that he brought on his father just in the very first place by leaving his father when, his, when, when he shouldn't have. And it was an honor, shame culture. He did not honor his father. And they, they lived in an honor, shame culture at that time. And, and so there's, there's things like that, that sometimes we, um, without, without truly trying to understand the, the, the culture and the society that they lived in at that time, perhaps we miss. And so uh, I think it's, it's worth it to, to, to ask ourselves, not just, you know, from where I sit right now, what do I get out of this? But how did they understand this, this parable? How did they understand these things? And I think much of the, the things that Jesus teaches in parables they they trans um, they, they they go through culture and time. There's also some things that that it's worth it to to see. Okay, what? How did they hear that story? What did it? How did they hear that in their day, in their age, in their culture? And and how can how can I make sure that I'm not missing the point of what Jesus was truly trying to say? And that even goes to, there's, there's some parables that sometimes, or some teachings, sometimes we're like, why, did, why is that even in there? Why is that included in the Bible? It's because there was something very profound that Jesus was saying that, that may hit some societies, some people differently than it might hit us. But it's all in there for a reason. I'll just finish with this here tonight. It's only by the power of God that we can see beyond His teachings. We can see the miracles, the parables, all these things. We truly must know Jesus. John six forty four says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is such, such a, a dynamic ministry that Jesus has when he was here on this earth. And he came to set captives free. He came to uh, to, to to do many things. The, the the true purpose of why he came really was to die. But even in the very th- the, the three years, the very small. Uh, time span of of his ministry, he he sure shook things up and, and taught us what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. I pray that tonight that we could pursue the things of God, pursue the kingdom of heaven, the things that Jesus taught. Amen. In fact, could we just all stand on this place here tonight? Amen. I pray that we amen, would pursue the things that Jesus taught, the things that Jesus challenged us with. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's lift up our hands all around this place. In Jesus' name, Lord, we are so thankful. God, that we have come into this place. Lord, I pray that you would just help us. Lord, as, as we read your word, as we see the ministry of Jesus lived out, Lord, help us, God, to, uh, to be challenged by that. God, to pursue, God, the things, Lord, and to not just leave them behind as teachings that were for some other generation. But, God, this is for us today. Lord, let us live them out. God, let us apply them to our lives. God, let us, God, not just call ourselves Christian in name, but God, let us be Christian in practice, which means to live the way that you taught us to live as kingdom-minded people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And before you leave tonight, before you leave tonight, we have, uh, this is the very last service. Thank you. It's the very last service.